We all remember recess growing up in school. Recess was a time of day where you could have all the conversations that you could not have while in class. Recess, recess is where you had the real conversations and real conversations we're going to have. In each episode of the Recess Podcast, I'm going to have real conversations explaining students and school. I'm David McGuire, and I'll be your host. It's recess time, y'all. Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to the first episode of the Recess Podcast. I'm your host, David McGuire, and I'm excited. Excited, one, because this is the first episode of a brainchild of mine that I've had the past uh, couple years, but two, because I have three dynamic, powerful, bold, excellent, beautiful black women educators that's going to drop some knowledge on us today. So in the Reset Podcast, uh, we're going to have real conversations explaining students in school. And trust me when I tell you this conversation uh, tonight is definitely going to be real. Tonight's topic is fitting of our guest is black girl knowledge. And so I'm going to sit back. I'm going to do a little facilitate and I'm going to get school on the current landscape of education in New Zealand and also how this COVID-19 is affecting everything. So I'll be quiet for a second. I'm going to let these wonderful ladies uh, jump in and introduce themselves. So Kiana, I will start with you. Just tell the folks who you are, what school you represent, and just a little bit about you. Well, um, good evening, everyone. My name is Kiana Warren, and I'm the proud principal for Purdue Polytechnic High School North, located in Broad Ripple. Um, we are now enrolling for um, the 2021 school year. Um, a little bit about myself. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm raising two um, powerful, um, dynamic uh, Black boys. I'm very proud of them, and I bring that a lot to the work that I do. Um, I've been in education for about 10 years and in school leadership for seven. Um, what drives my passion and desire to be in education is I'm an interrupter. And so I'm very passionate about um, just recreating, destroying, dismantling, whatever words you want to use, the education as it exists now, because it wasn't meant for us. It wasn't meant for people who look like me. Um, but I'll get more. In, I'm sure we'll get more into that later. But I'm just really happy to be here to talk about one of my favorite subjects, and that is doing what is right for kids. India. Educate the folks. <laughs> now, I am India Huey. Um, I am the founding school leader and executive director of Thrival India Academy, which is located on the east side of Indianapolis, proud east sider. Uh, been there since I moved to Indianapolis when I was four years old. Um, we are the study abroad high school in the city, free and public innovation high school. Um, my friend Kiana said, "She, what are you, what are you an interrupter? Uh, I'm a troublemaker." And I, <laughs> you know, Nelson Mandela told me it's okay to be a troublemaker. I got a lot of whoopings for it back in the day, but now I'm proudly a troublemaker, and and I found my lane there. Jadon, last but not least. Hey, y'all. Well, first of all, it is tough to follow those incredible introductions, and just have to say how excited I am to be on the call with such excellence. I've known India for a while. I've heard great things about you, Principal Warren. So I'm just like floored that I'm even here to be a part of the conversation. Um, Jadon Hemingway, I am a native Chicagoan, born and raised Southside, uh, hardly home, but always repping. And I am here um, in Indianapolis by way of my um, career in education. I started my career here in Indy 
um, in 2011, where I taught um, high school for a couple of years and have since um, spent my time both in school leadership in Chicago and most recently um, here um, leading our teacher development uh, arm of the work for Teach for America, which is a national organization um, with uh, um, a chapter here in Indianapolis. So I am proudly representing um, Teach for America um, and all of our Teach for America teachers that I know um, are working in schools across Indianapolis. I'm also here representing my own organization, mm -hmm. which is free Foundation for Racial Equity in Education. Um, and my passion or my deepest passion is about sort of elevating and uplifting the leadership of leaders of color um, and making sure that they have the tools that they need to interrupt and dismantle. So excited to be here um, and ready for some real talk and not any like jargony. You know, we, I'm hoping that we have a real, real conversation today. All right. Real is where we're going. So before we jump into kind of just the topics, uh, there's a segment I like to open up every show with that's called, uh, can y'all explain this? So I have this quote that I found on Facebook. Somebody posted it. I have my thoughts, but I want you guys to explain this. So I'll read the quote. It says, if teachers are assigning grades right now, what are they grading? Privileged. Without equalizing force of the school building and services, limited as they are, teachers are grading on access to technology, Wi-Fi, food, housing, and security. So when you see that, when you hear that quote, somebody explain that to me. I'm not, again, I have my thoughts and I'll share a little bit of them, but what, what are y'all hearing when y'all hear that quote? I'll start. Um, so the first thing that came up for me, right? Now I've been having this conversation for the last couple of weeks with folk as we are in this new world of COVID. I think it's important that we not try to continue our work or our lives, frankly, um, in the way that we've always done them. Like this is a new reality. These are unprecedented times. And I am, um, uh, while I'm not, you know, on the ground as a school leader right now, I recognize that like there is an end that we need to get to. And I think that we need to be conscious of um, being innovative and not trying to continue to do sort of the status quo. So for schools that are imploring teachers to submit grades, my question would be like, why is that sort of an ask of them in the first place um, in, in these new conditions? And have we thought about different ways to understand what our students are experiencing? And so on one hand, I agree um, with the quote, given what we know about the lack of access for um, uh, many of our, our students who are growing up in, in um, low income communities. Um, and I think it's the responsibility of schools to redefine what it means to measure student um, achievement at this point. And if we're not doing that, then we're doing kids a disservice. Right. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just going to I agree with that. And I'm going to go there and say grading systems are problematic anyway. anyway. Let's not even talk about the pandemic. So let's mm. take this new opportunity as an as a chance to look at grading systems and look how how they are inequitable, how they unfairly um, disadvantage certain kids. So I would say, yes, grading is a privilege because these are things that exist anyway. So I think we need to look at that system and how it's failing kids in general. Um, grades tend to be really subjective. And then when you bring an implicit bias, how much more problematic is that for our students? Um, and so, yeah, agreed. So anybody who follows me on Twitter knows that- Come on, India. I've been on my soapbox about this entire thing. I'm not going to take over the segment. Um, going in, but you can check me out at India Huey Ed. Um, but yes, my friend Kiana said it. Grades are problematic to begin with. Um, I know I told my teachers 
I don't want our students to get grades for compliance. You know, like I don't want it to be this kid is a smiley kid. They follow directions. They have an A. We see so much of that already. And so we already know that our more trouble, our students who have home troubles, our students who are not, um, they've not been supported in the way that maybe their peers have been. They already the ones getting the D's and the F's because they aren't presenting in class what a teacher thinks is A worthy. I would tell people when I was at one of the high schools here in Indianapolis, you have some very compliant kids who actually cannot do algebra one, making straight A's, but you have some kids throwing desks at teachers, cussing people clean out, you know, and they actually are brilliant, but they're, they've been held back two or three times. So that's a problem in and of itself. But when it comes to this current crisis, I think we just, this is a time for us to rethink how we are doing school in general. So there are districts where there is inequity in that district. This might not be relevant to your school per se, per se, David, because maybe everybody in your school comes from the same type of household, same kind of background. But when you have these districts, we're saying um, from A to Z, this is how the teachers are going to grade, but you're serving kids who live in half a million dollar homes, have half a million dollar access. And you're also serving kids who do not have nearly that access, don't have parents or you have parents who are struggling with the losses that they're experiencing. They're struggling with the stress of, I got to go to work every day and I might wake up dead tomorrow because of this virus. Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of trauma that our kids are experiencing already. So no, those, those grades are not going to be equitable. We need to be just making sure our kids are getting have, everybody in this state needs to be having access to the basics. And, you know, like we'll talk about that later. Yeah. So a couple of things. So if you're watching this live on, on Facebook or Twitter, I am trying to get these comments because they're coming in quickly. So I do appreciate everybody tuning in. Um, got some folks in. See my boy, my boy, Ray. Thank you for checking us out from Eight Black Hands. My boy, Sawyers. Uh, got Sarah on here. Said some black girl magic. I'm going to make this real short and sweet. And I don't want y'all to jump on my back, okay? <laughs> Please don't, India. <laughs> specifically, because you know she will. Right. But I'll say this. I love me anyway. <laughs> I'll say this. At some point, if we're doing this virtual learning and we're talking about ensuring that students are learning, what is our what is our post? Or what is our standard for learning? Are we just going to make sure that they're logged in? Or are we just doing this virtual learning to say we've done something? So I will say this. I'm not saying that grades are the end-all, be-all. I definitely agree they are subjective. Because if I like you, I'm going to give you that bump that moves you from a D, from an F to a D. If I don't like you, you're not going to get that bump. And you're going to get this F instead of this D. So I get that. But I think there has to be some form of measurement to see how students will progress. I'm going to leave it at that. But I also agree my boy, I think I uh, had a couple of people post something. So I get those put up here real quick. But we're not going to spend all much time on that. We are grading our kids after week three. So I will put that out there. Tenley Summit, we are grading after week three. But to your point, um, it is something we're going to have to address. Each, each time we grade it, we're going to have to take a look at it and make sure we're just not grading kids because we like them or because of completion. Because that's also mm -hmm. no point either, right? Unless you're doing pass fail. So I'll jump into our first question so we all work in the school re reform space in a sense um so i want to hear from you what's the current landscape of education reform in, in indianapolis where are we at are we where we should be are we behind you think we're advanced um Jadon, you are you the only one not from indy 
Kiana, you from Indy? You from Indy? I am right? from Atlanta, Georgia, but I've been here long yeah. enough. Yeah. Okay, so I'll let you two non-Hoosiers go first, and then India from uh, from a Hoosier standpoint, I'll let you jump in last. So Jadana, Kiana, who wants to tackle this first? Where are we at? Yeah, I, I can kick us off, um, Kiana, if, if that's okay. Um, so it's interesting. I often have the conversation with people about my experiences in Indianapolis compared to that of having been an educator and school leader in Chicago and in a much larger um, just like city and district. And what I would say, um, frankly, what brought me back to Indianapolis is while there's still a long way to go as we think about every kid in this city, having access to an excellent education, I do think that there are conditions in this city that um, allow that to be true perhaps sooner than larger districts. And let me sort of dig a little deeper there. What I mean is I think that one, there've been um, investments in elevating the leadership of, of leaders of color. Many of us, um, perhaps all of us on this call, um, sort of participating in, in those efforts to um, to be on the front line leading. And while like, um, I think we can go down a path of like critiquing some of the efforts that have been put in place to bring folk like us um, to the table, the fact of the matter is they have happened and we're here, um, which I think and have experienced in other places, that still being a concern, right? Like how do we get black principles? Like that is not, <laughs> shouldn't be tough to do. And so in places in Indianapolis, like that is happening and has happened. Um, so that's one part of it too. I would say when I think about like the political landscape and, and again, being a Chicagoan, you're talking about politics on a mass scale and how that influences um, education amongst other sectors. Um, I think that there's like really could like a bipartisan um, conversation that could be had in Indianapolis um, um, that perhaps isn't true in other spaces. Um, and then and then lastly, I would say um, I think reform is looks different, is perhaps further in Indy compared to other places because of folk who are local and committed to this work, who have grown up sort of born and bred in the Indy landscape, much like um, India, for example, who I've known for a decade now. Um, <laughs> Um, who are just like not going, right? Like we, they are going to demand um, what is best for, for students and families here. And they are speaking on that from a place of experience. And so you see that just throughout spaces. So I would just say in short, I think Indy is well primed to, to really be at the front. Um, if, and, and frankly, I think we are already and lots of data suggests it on the front end of, of this fight for educational equity uh, which I've experienced very differently in larger in larger spaces. I definitely agree. I think we have some really talented leaders in the space. I have so many people that I can call upon. We have elders that I can who've been in this for years who are paving the way. We have a new generation of millennials coming and doing really things that are hot business. My concern is it's not happening enough for kids. It's not happening quickly enough for kids and we can't afford to wait. And so I guess my critique would be, let's go further faster. Um, Cause some of the things that are happening in the schools around the city, I would not be okay for my own boys and are not okay for the students that I serve each day. And so um, just looking at, I mean, the data we know, data doesn't lie and it's showing us that there's a problem, but I do agree that we have the talent in the city. I think we have um, some really passionate, no nonsense leaders, but just change is not happening quickly enough. 
So the two words that come to mind for me are acceleration and impact. So when we look at how aggressively reform has accelerated in this city, if we only, if you are in the camp of people who strictly cares about flooding the system with innovative school models, with black and brown young leaders, then we get a gold star. You know, like we're accelerating, we're moving really fast. Talk about impact, that's a whole different story. I don't, in my mind, and from what I'm seeing experiencing, I I don't think that we're having the impact that we hope to have. I'm about to say something that's on like hurts and feelings in three, two, one. Um, I think that we got like education reform work was to solve white guilt. And I've had to help remind myself of that. I think a lot of people started these organizations and got into reform work to make them feel better about the white privilege that they exercise and benefit from each day. So the actual impact really doesn't matter as much to a certain camp of people. I think that camp of people is being changed and or leaving altogether. But I think the reality is when we were brought into these spaces, being young and black and from communities that reflect the community that we're serving, we're like, I'm like, no, like this is not enough. This is this is very, you know, disheartening what I'm seeing. I'm I'm not encouraged by what I'm seeing because it looks like me. These kids look like me, and I am in this because I need to change this for those kids, and it ain't changing. But if I am a person who exercises privilege, lives in a, a nice big house in the suburbs somewhere, I just need to come down to the city, be part of this reform work, make myself feel better to go back into that privileged life so I can tell my friends, well, I do work for underprivileged kids. So I like it's just been a constant reminder so that I don't stress myself out. India, you have engaged in these white people's work and you're trying at this point drag them along and they don't have the experiences that you have and they don't have the connection to the community that you have. So so their motivation is different. Can I jump on, David, just to, yeah, go to um, complicate that a little bit? So first, um, um, really appreciate that, India, and think it's like important that we um, that we are honest about um, sort of the the um, um, the impetus for or or the, the core of some of the reform efforts that we've seen in this city and in other places across the country. I, I think I'm in a place um, in my life and in my career, though, perhaps not though, but just as a complication of like, I, I'm not about to keep giving white folk credit for um, 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 how we've progressed. And so what I, what I mean by that is this, I think if we were to, to like pick apart what we mean by reform, like communities of color, people of color, black folk, have been reforming and rejuvenating and recreating and redesigning and remixing their own spaces time over time. And so I think that one way that we sort of take back, if you will, this movement is to center ourselves in like what is true about who we are as people and our, our ancestors. We reform, we rejuvenate, we reform, right? right? <laughs> um, and so I don't think that we are totally not uh, and I don't think you were saying this, but just want to underscore that, like, I think that we are equally as involved um, in the processes and that to the point um, that Principal Warren made at the top, like, um, it is our role to be interrupters and disruptors and to continue to reform and rejuvenate our, you know, our own spaces. Um, so just a way to complicate that, because I think that we could talk all day um, about sort of um, what white folk are doing or aren't doing. And I'm gonna be honest with you, um, I don't care. <laughs> so, 
um, um, I think it is high time we start to think about, um, you know, um, obviously, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but just, just want to <laughs> implore us to just continue to think about, you know, uh, what is our role and how do we continue to move this thing forward? When I think about education reform in the city, I always ask my question, at what point does it end? What point do we stop reforming and we're doing right by kids and families, right? And so how long have we been doing reform? Shoot, I think since I jumped in this game, education reform might have been before that, right? How much longer after this are we gonna be reforming? If we're having the same conversation five years from now, what have we done? You know, so the question is, are we, do pe are people creating situations where reform can stay alive so you can keep money in the pockets of certain people so I can keep doing these things? Or at some point, are we really working towards fixing these schools? Let's talk about I'm a principal, right? And so I'm trying to fix my school and build a school that's high performing so I can work myself out of something, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to keep it being messed so I can keep somebody else. At some point, we got to fix these schools where we're not reforming, where we can sit down as a principal, I can sit in my office, like some principals do in other schools, and not even leave, because it's, it's operating, it's moving. But, yeah. but, you know, I wear tennis shoes with my shoes because I'm walking up and down the hallway. <laughs> the, the word reform is used so loosely, like I, I think it, it's so far from its definition at this point, because mm -hmm. nothing, when we really think about most of the schools that we operate, the body is the same that it's been since those 12 white men designed education generations ago. We just put a different outfit on it. We put a different name on it. But, you know, the basics of what we do as we talk about grades, I saw the Ed Purist on here saying like how grades mm -hmm. are essential and assessments are, you know, all of these things, like nothing is changing about these things. We are not even reforming a system. We get to reform all of building of maybe 300 top students. But we are, when are we going to actually change how this system is working through, it, it, you know, the students, mm -hmm. the communities? Mm -hmm. So, like, that is where, that's my frustration. That's when I say, no, like, maybe that wasn't the point of all of this. To your point, we have to, Jadon, we have to stop thinking about, you know, the people who started it. And we just have to take our power and own it and do our own thing. When we talk about systemically, though. Nothing mm -hmm. has changed about these systems at all. So, so what are we? What are we even calling reform? I'm yeah, sure. I agree. I, I know we got to move, David, but I, mm -hmm. I um, um, I'm appreciating this conversation, and we'll say like when I think about our ancestors, right, and the sense of do you know how long they, uh, um, how long it took to see movement in a system that wasn't set up for us that was literally set mm -hmm. to to like crush black bodies, minds, spirits, like literally, literally, right? And so I think that there's a there's a sense of, of urgency um, in partnership with humility that we have to take on. And like, if we are expecting schools to shift overnight, then we're not thinking about the larger problem, which is the system. And so I know folk have critiques about um, um, organizations like Teach for America. What I will say sort of as a, as a representative of that organization tonight, like, the part I I appreciate most about our work is how we are investing in figuring out what does it mean to create people who can who to create um, um, in talented folk the mindsets that allow them to see the system and we aren't doing that perfectly. There's no perfect science for that, right? But I think it's a miss for us to think about classrooms only, um, schools only as the unit of change. To India's point, this thing is systemic and uh, we won't see change 
at the school level until we attack the system. Kiana, did you want to jump in? Because Jadon segued to my next question, but if you want to jump in on that. I, I just I just I I just agree about the systems and I think we have to continue to think about who is benefiting from the status quo and the systems as is, and that will give us a key to where we really need to attack. Absolutely. So Jadon, you segue it said you are a representative of Teach for America. <laughs> and so yeah, this question is for you and, 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 and India and Kiana, you can definitely jump in too. So when I think about the current landscape of the teacher population in the city, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about whether you think it's a shortage of the quality of teachers or is there a shortage of the quantity of teachers in yeah. the city? So yeah, I asked myself, like, are we really short of teachers or are we just short of good teachers? So talk about TFA and talk about what do you think is the is shortage of quantity or shortage of quality in the city of Indianapolis? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, tough question, right? And it reminds me, it's, it's sort of reminiscent of the nature versus nurture argument um, where you, know, you see people living on both sides of that pole choosing one or the other. To be frank, I think it is a combination of both. And I would ask, um, much like I in, in earlier comments, I think that we need to sort of um, rephrase and rethink the way we're having the conversation in the first place and not coming from a place of lack. Here's what I mean by that. So to, to the point made earlier about investing in leaders of color, um, uh, school leaders of color in particular, like we've seen cities like Indianapolis, cities across the country, right, really pour into getting more black and brown folk at the table. That is almost used a curse word, I won't. Uh, not that it's sufficient, <laughs> totally insufficient. Um, uh, it's important, uh, right? Because our kids, absolutely, the data hands down says that students need to have people who look like them in front of them in their classrooms and leaving their buildings. There's, You cannot refute that, irrefutable. And I think it is um, wholly insufficient for us to just fight the quantity fight. Um, so if you sort of shift then over to quality, I think we have to define like, what do we mean by quality? I think kids need teachers who love them, who understand them, who respect and honor their communities and where they're from, um, who can, um, look at their parents and see the humanity in their parents and families. Um, um, and I think we need teachers who understand pedagogy, who, who know their content, um, who know what, um, how to get kids access to sort of the doors that are already closed for them when we think about higher education and career options. Um, and, and finally, I think quality also includes teachers who have um, a lens for anti-racism. If, if you are, and, and, and I sort of say this all the time, pretty unapologetically in my work at Teach for America, um, and know that I'm joined um, by lots of other folk on my team, if not all who believe this, like if you've come here just to teach, bro, like you can teach the Pythagorean theorem all day long, and that is not going to save our kids from the racism, right? Like I know a kid, I've had a kid and loved a kid, a student of mine who knew the Pythagorean theorem and all the other ones inside and out and still, Right. Was met with gun violence on the streets of Chicago where he where he lost his life. So to be clear, um, if you're going to do this work, you have quality means that you're also invested in understanding the system um, and understanding that this is not a historical um, and really having a mindset for equity and anti-racism. So those would be my, my thoughts on the quality versus quantity argument. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that there's a lack of investment in training teachers, um, you know, it was pointed out by Dr. Smith, I believe, at the university level. But then when they come to us 
as leaders, it is our responsibility to train our teachers. And you could they could come from you, David, and, and you and I like honestly, you know, you trained under me. <laughs> this is true, everybody. This is true. From your school and then come to mine. And I still have my expectations for my teachers, the way that we do things here, the, the belief that we have in students and the language that we use and the expectations that we hold, which are going to be different. But district wide at the school level, there is a lack of investment in time and energy in training the teachers. I know when I was a teacher and I was in the classroom for seven years, which isn't a lifetime, but it's long enough to know that I rarely had a principal come in and let me know this is what I believe high quality instruction looks like mm -hmm. and coach me to that. And then, so when my teachers come, when I come in their classrooms, they're afraid because it feels punitive not to let them know I will be in here weekly and it is simply to grow you. Punishing you ain't gonna do nothing for me, but you know, I have to grow you and we have to be able to have feedback. I want you to help me grow as a leader and I have to grow you as a teacher. So there is a lack of investment. I don't care if we had five teachers across the state. If we invested in those five teachers, they would be able to move the mountains. Ain't nobody investing in us. Jadine and I talked together. You know, there was little investment in our growth as teachers serving these human beings who are now parents, a lot of them. You know, hopefully mm -hmm. some of them, you know, they went to college and are out here in the workforce, but we weren't trained in preparing our students for that. I um, want to take a second to shout out uh, my very first principal, Thelma Wyatt. Um, she did a lot of those things and, and <laughs> kept me, I would not be where I am today without her leadership. So I definitely appreciate she was a strong, powerful. I had her too. Let me say that <laughs> on my Facebook. So let me say, yes, Mrs. Wyatt, I wasn't talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so I, I completely agree. I think that um, also when we're looking at systems of uh, teacher preparation, yes, we need to look at those again. We need to look at why teachers aren't being retained in the profession. And I'm looking now at ways to use technology and using some predictive modeling to see ways that we could figure out who should and shouldn't be in the classrooms and then provide them the support that they need. Um, so uh, completely agree with all of that work. Um, I also think we need to look at the relationship between school leaders and, um, the, and the teachers that they serve with. I think there's a certain level of, um, these these weird dynamics that happen where it's like I'm the person over you and I decide this this and that where I'm not sure like for my boss you know guys I will fight anybody over him because I think he's amazing and supportive and I feel like I can talk to him um, and he doesn't say racist stuff like it's awesome I love that man um, but if we didn't have a good relationship and there wasn't trust built I don't think that I could do the things that I do and so I think that's something we need to look at too how are we building trust with our teachers? How are we showing them that we trust them to have autonomy in their classrooms to do the right thing? I believe in high autonomy, high support. Mm -hmm. Also, um, this might be controversial, but I oftentimes am. Um, if you're not a good teacher, <laughs> if you're not a good teacher, you got to go. And I'm not waiting until mm -hmm. the end of the day. Like, <laughs> and, and I'm and, and I love kids too much, mm -hmm. and I love people too, but I love kids too much mm -hmm. to allow allow that so yeah and that's Off the thing but you have to i have to be able to sleep at night once i let you go you know what i mean so i have to know that i have invested right. in you right. that i have put all of my training all of my love and passion in you and you still ain't about the right so now we're gonna have to part ways but i'm not going to do that you know and i know you wouldn't either kiana 
I'm not going to part ways from you before I've tried to train you as much as I can, because you're just going to leave my school and go somewhere else and do damage to those kids. And those kids still matter to me. Those kids yes. are here in this city. And if they don't get it, they still can rob me. You know, like we're all in this together because if we don't, if we aren't bringing like these kids, then they're going to, you know, then they have to turn to a life of crime. You know, like ain't no way around it because they, have, they don't have the resources to survive. And we are citizens in this society. So we are responsible for every, all of them and, and kid on this earth that I don't feel I'm completely responsible for. <laughs> And I'm glad you said that because that's one thing that I feel like is a little unique to Indianapolis is that there's this th there's this level of supporting each other that, that I don't see in other cities. I don't feel like I have to be in competition with other school leaders. Um, if they're doing something great, I'm like, mm, let me come and learn in your school. And I think that's a beautiful thing that is happening that um, I don't know what's happening years back. So if you just joined us, this is the Recess Podcast, a uh, little black girl knowledge uh, the comments are coming in. I'm trying to get them up here. Uh, ladies, we, we, we got folks talking about policy. Um, we, we had someone mention about a school that had 35 kids in the kindergarten. I'm going to just be quiet on that one because I had 30 in mine last year. So I'm not going to speak on that. But I definitely understand. Uh, but our, our latest question was, was about the teacher shortage. Is it a quality issue or is it a quantity issue? I'm going to be honest. I asked the question because I really didn't know. I, I'm a, I don't know. I used to think it was a teacher shortage and we just lacked teachers. And then I started to think, you know, that we didn't have good teachers. And there's multiple things that, that you've heard. And I think the one thing that I can speak on as a principal is we, school leaders, we have to do a better job of training and developing our teachers. So if, if I know I hire a teacher that's very green and doesn't know anything, and I put them in the classroom and they fail, then I need to look at myself in the mirror. And so, yeah, they're hurting kids and I'm gonna let them go. But then I have to ask myself, well, what have I done as a leader? Yeah. Was, was, was I successful in training them? Was I successful in coaching them? Did I put them in a situation to be successful? Or did I just let them suffer and then I let them go? And then there also has to be, and I can say this candidly too, because you know, my school, if you look at a letter grade was rated you know, poorly, but I will say, if have we taken that test this year? We was going to shock a lot of people. But anyway, there has to be some accountability on us as school leaders. And the, the, the best advice I got from my former boss, Kelly Marshall, shout out to her, and my current boss, Dr. Metcalf, no matter what, you better get that data because that data will follow you. But that, that's not, that doesn't paint the whole picture. You know, I think if you, Kiana, India, the things that we're doing in our school for allowing our students to, to be better advocates, supporting our communities, and building our families up, that part's important too, but we know, and Jadon, you know, as a school leader, you better start, kids better start passing, right? Because mm -hmm. it's, it's not enough. I, somebody I heard, sorry, Andy, I didn't mean to cut you off. No. Um, I'll be quick. I heard a, a parent um, at a panel I was at um, a couple years back um, ask the question of like, why do I have to choose between a school that loves my kids and a school that teaches? My kids, both. And, and I think there's a there's a conversation underneath the one we're having about teachers that I think we are. Um, it's our responsibility to have, and that is about the the extent to which school leaders have the capacity um, mm -hmm. and sort of, sort of knowledge and skill set themselves to do the work of developing their teachers. Um, and, and I want to be clear, right? Like um, having having done that work for um, a few years, I certainly wasn't. 
um, perfect at it and, and didn't know everything that I needed to know to, to um, support my teachers in their instructional um, capacity. What I will say, though, was there was a commitment on my part to be invested in the development that I would need. And I often wonder um, to what extent school leaders um, are given the opportunities that they need to continue to sharpen um, their skills, right? Like if I'm a school leader hired to manage operations, mm -hmm. I don't know nothing about right. I have no business in thinking about instruction, mm -hmm. right? And so I think like those are the conversations that we should be having too about how do we best set up school leadership teams so that they have the full capacity to take on mm -hmm. um, um, what is just true about our context right now. And that is teachers who are new and green and who are going to need that kind of support. And untie these school leaders' hands. Now, I I, I have the privilege of running in an autonomous school and I report to a board and that, that board reports to the IPS board. I don't got a bunch of bosses, um, but, you know, and, and that is a privilege I have. But sometimes I think that's scary that there are other people who also have that level of autonomy and don't have the capacity that I have. Mm -hmm. You know, I happen to be great at this thing. I was endowed with the talents that it takes to lead this school and, and this organization. I don't think that some people who have the, you know, autonomy over a nonprofit and a school at the same time have that capacity or training yet. And that is really scary. That that's really that's really scary to me. That wasn't even the point I was about to make. I didn't forgot the point I was gonna make. Just thinking about that fact. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I don't okay, so that was my point was I work, you know, in a district with other principals who don't have that autonomy and they have like six, seven layers between them and the people who ultimately make the decision, but they're the principal and they know what's best for their kids, but they can't, they can't make that decision based on their school, their student body, their needs. They have to go through all of these channels, have it voted on. And then it's you know, like, well, no, that, that's not what this group of people who doesn't have anything to do with education, that doesn't work for their budget or their time frame. So we can't do that. And that has to be frustrating for district, for school leaders within districts. So that means either we want to talk about dismantling something. We really do have to think through why there are 511 levels and layers between a decision maker and the person they're making the decision for. And we need to eliminate some of those layers. And I've gotten in trouble for saying that before, but it's the truth. We don't need all these layers between who's making the decision and, and who the decision is impacting. Yeah. Reform, we got to start there. To that point, India, I think that's why it's important, you know, like, especially since I've been back in Indianapolis and engaging in conversation with with other leaders of color in the space. I'm often just um, we had this conversation in uh, Vegas between <laughs> her and we were talking about her. Sometimes we to use my grandmother's old uh, say, I think sometimes we, we what is it? Bite our nose to spite our face um, in yeah. that, you know, we can talk to we're blue in the face about why innovation models don't work. I mean, whatever your opinion is there. But, but what I will say is there's been an investment via those types of models in the autonomy that we that I think school leaders need to um, to to sort of uh, attack or remove some of those layers. And so um, I personally think that um, um, something else that is that is unique and special to India are those kinds of models that are happening in partnerships with charters and district um, to to offer more autonomy um, at, at the point of the school. Yeah. 
So I'm posting these comments up and I realize sometimes when I post these comments, they just take off whole people's faces. But I want to make sure that people get their love uh, for, to definitely comment on the Recess podcast. So we're going to do Kiana, a slight pivot. What is what you were going to say, Kiana? I know you have something in the chat. Yeah. I probably do, but I, I forgot the question. <laughs> you know what? I'm right. Kiana. I, I did too. Thank you, Ms. But, but here's what I'm gonna say. So we're gonna do a slight pivot because I'm allowed uh, some time at the end. We're at 8:11, and I said I would make this till 8:30, maybe a little over. But I'm gonna allow some time at the end because I do want Kiana, India, and Jadon to have a platform to talk about their schools and their organizations. So, ladies, at the end, in our closing remarks before I close down the show, I'm gonna give you guys a platform. I want you to tell the folks about your school, sell your school, and Jadon, you know, sell folks about TFA. And a little bit of um, well, and free, free. yeah, also free. And then maybe if you just find a nugget in there about surge, it's a little, little surge. Shout out surge a little bit. We'll see. Okay, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that to the end. So we're gonna jump into the second phase of this. And so you know, with everything going on, you know, with COVID nineteen, and you know, us being on punishment because of forty five, and not, you know, I let me stop. It's not a political show. It's about education. So with the current landscape, you know, schools out. And India, you know, we talk a lot about food over education. And so that, that's not the conversation that we're going to have yet. But I just want to know from you all, honestly, and we're talking about children of color. How effective is e-learning going to be this year? And I'm thinking about schools that this is all new to. Mm-hmm. Right. So my school, some of the IPS schools, some of the other charter schools that, that don't have the capacity. Honestly, even the districts. Even, even the districts. Tell me, tell me about how are black kids really gonna do? How are babies gonna do this summer? Honestly, T- just tell me. Let's have a real conversation about our kids during this time. Go, Kiana. <laughs> okay, so I um, where to begin with this question? I I read something <laughs> that, um, and I never want to get stats wrong, so I need a fact checker. My fact checker somewhere upstairs, but um, <laughs> that um, suburban schools in Indianapolis, more affluent schools. Um, are twice as likely to opt into e-learning days to begin with. So that mm-hmm. data, wh- what's that about? Um, let's dive into that and, and see what implications that has. Um, <clears throat> I think that when we when we really approach equity, I think it's not as simple as providing every student a Chromebook, providing every student internet access. That is equality and not equity. And we know that um, students of color are, are often not at, uh, uh, don't often start at the same don't have the same starting point as other students. I um, I think that some schools are set up more naturally for e-learning than others. I think it's something that we really want to consider moving forward. It is not the ideal ideal way um, of going into e-learning and, and adjustments. Um, and so I just really think uh, that we need to come together more as a city and talk about how we're really going to make the best out of this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but frankly and honestly, this is just another setback for our community, and this is just another setback. I, I think it's really important to come up with a plan about how we're going to remediate once we. Um, and I'm honestly stealing some of these ideas from India. I know we've we've had talks about it. Um, there's going to be a lot of work to do, but absolutely, this is just like um, we know in the medical field and in, in the working. I don't even like so many of my students. I'm sorry, I get really emotional about my students. So let me let me rewind back a little bit, but I have so many, I have a diverse by design school. So we're 50% students of color and 50% white students. 
Um, and there, I just see so many gaps um, and, and, uh, and all of our students have internet access because we provide it for them. All of our students have Chromebooks because we provide it for them. And we've done that since the beginning of the year before we even knew this would happen. But there's a difference between some of my students have moms who stay at home with them and help them with their work um, using their master's degrees and PhDs. And then I have some students whose parents are going to work every day and getting paid pennies. Mm -hmm. um, food access looks different. There's just so much involved with this that I, um, I would argue, even though every student in our school has access to teachers and they're logging on, we have about a 95% attendance rate to our online courses, but they're still, I, I truly believe our students of color are at a disadvantage because of the systems. Yeah. Well, first Who's of all, you know, <laughs> you know, I what I say on Twitter last week, flattening the curve and widening the gap. You know, and I don't have any issue with staying home. I've been in my home. I'm on day 26 in my house. And, you know, had no no P Diddy. I'm on day 26, and I'm gonna be here because I do I do believe that you know, like we have to protect ourselves because you know the community is gonna need us when this is over. But it really is disheartening to me to know that the, how how egregious the gap is going to be once we go back into these school buildings. And we're so we're celebrating ourselves for passing out sandwiches while there's, you know, the kids in Carmel literally are still having class every day as though they would because they've been having e-learning days for like years now. You know, they didn't have snow days. They had e-learning days when we had a snow day. Um, I it is I think. The DOE, what they put out, like that guidance, it was like, y'all do what y'all can. You know, like, <laughs> like that was so frustrating to me. It was like, you know, we're just going to leave it up to the districts and, you know, some of them can have packets and some of them, you know, I think it is the Department of Education's responsibility at the very least at the state level to make sure that there is equity in what is happening from this point forward. And what they did was just increase the level of inequity within and among our school systems when when she when you know, like to have our superintendent of the states on TV saying we're gonna leave it up to the districts to address it however they see fit, but we already know it ain't been fit. It hasn't been fit this whole time. This is where your leadership should step in and say, This is what needs to happen. You know, like we're not even gonna act like the kids are gonna be getting quality education. 90% of them aren't. So we're gonna do something as a state to make sure that these kids have access to learning. Whether it's graded, you know, whether a teacher, what your teacher at your school gives it to you, we should have ownership over these kids. At the state level, they should have said, we are going to make sure that this is equitable. It appears to me that the state level, they do not care. Then they messed around and took one of my ideas and didn't even um, at your girl. I want to read something. I don't know if you guys got this email, but it came from... Mayor Joe Hostas community partners to launch Indianapolis e-learning fund to support students and schools. So it says tomorrow, Wednesday, April 8th, Mayor Joe Hostad and the coalition of community partners will announce the launch of a new fund aimed at helping schools impacted by COVID-19 restrictions transition to e-learning. So it looks like there's a webinar. You got Mayor Joe, you got somebody from the Richard M. Fairbanks Foundation. Sounds like a lot of money there. And also, you got Eli Lilly, which I know is a lot of money there. So it sounds like the mayor is creating a coalition of folks to hope, I'm assuming, provide some funds to help schools um, transition to e-learning. But, you know. That means high spots and, and laptops. Does that mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So, I just wanted to share that with the group, and you know, we'll get this email out. I ain't got, I don't have a, a web page, but I'm gonna tweet it 
from my uh, personal uh, Twitter account this link. Because I think schools, if, if you didn't get this, this is something that everybody should have gotten. So, Jadon, how, how are black kids going to do? Yeah, quick, quick, quick um, thoughts. So, um, you know, recognizing that I'm not currently on the ground, but just thinking from um, my vantage point and the work that we're doing, we we literally had to step back my team um, today where the sort of essential question we were trying to solve for was, and how are the children? Because at the end of the day, we can keep spending and talking about policy and, and legislation, which we should, but but I think um, the, the question we should all be asking ourselves right now is, and how are, are the children? Um, and so I think it's connected back to an earlier point we were making, David, you were like, you know, I'm in the hallway sort of managing hallways for, for behavior in my school as a principal. Um, and when I think about time, talent and treasure investment, like from leaders of color, particularly in school leader seats, I think we're spending too much time um, investing in those kinds of, in that kind of work and not enough time perhaps um, investing in um, um, how we think innovatively about school, period. I had an argument with a school leader of color. Uh, I ain't even gonna tell the time because they might be listening and they know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> you might be real. Hold on. They, they signed up for this. You guys got their name. Well, a, a debate, a healthy debate about like should kids sit in, in roles. I just think we have su we have not yet picked apart how deeply entrenched and tied we are in like the traditional way of schooling, even when we know that one built for us. So I guess the mm -hmm. point that I'm making is this is a call to action for folks like yes. us to think about how do we prep our people then for e-learning because uh, pre-COVID and post it, that is mm -hmm. going to be necessary. And it is it is a shame that we were not prepared to do that now while other schools and districts were, but it's because they were investing time, talent, and treasure in that kind of innovation because they have the capacity to do it. Um, so what's what's holding us back from having the the, the capacity to really address um, and, and be innovative in our own context? Well, you don't even believe your kids can learn when you have them with your teachers in your classroom. In How do you know these people? Yeah, like you're not believing that the kids can learn when they're at home. You you didn't believe in them when they were in your classroom. Yeah. You don't respect their parents. You don't trust their parents. You you know, so so I think from a state level, district level, probably nationally, the expectation is not that students of color are successful at home because the expectation is not that they're, they're successful in class. And until we really address that level of bias and racism that is deeply mm -hmm. seated in the education system, we ain't gonna get, we're not gonna get anywhere. So I think yeah. that, that's what frustrates me most about this. You know that they're, that this is not what's gonna be best for our students. You know that they're not gonna be getting what they need when you just throw them a packet because you're still struggling to educate them in the classroom with a highly qualified teacher. And then you blame that yeah. on the kids and their parents who you have them at home with when it was you to begin with. And, at the, and it was also the system. There's some things that we don't have control of yet, but a lot of it falls on leadership and leadership has to be critical of themselves if we want to do better for our kids. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think you hit something when you talked about the bigotry of low expectations. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also just the idea that do you truly, truly believe that all students can learn or do you feel sorry for them and think, that you're checking a box off your your list of um, I, I've I've done some good for today and right um really just looking at those motives absolutely mm -hmm. shameless plug um I write a blog for NDK twelve and I wrote a blog a couple months ago about the bigotry of low expectations because 
is definitely real. This is what I'll say with everything going on, uh, as far as our, our students of color and this e-learning. Fix it, Jesus. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> fix it. So our, um, our final topic, topic before I, I kind of just sit back and, and I want you guys to talk about your school. And you, you know, you, you might know where I'm going with this. So in case you didn't know, we dropped some fire. What day was that? Sunday? Monday? Yeah. Uh, Sunday. We dropped some, some fire on, on Sunday. I saw you. Little video. <laughs> Don't rush. <laughs> And if you watch the video, there's something that's very glaring. So, ladies, if you don't mind, I'm going to get on my two-minute soapbox about something, okay? Go so, ahead. my friend India sent a blast out to multiple school leaders about doing this video, okay? And after the video was completed, there was one black male principal on there, and it was yours truly. And I know for a fact she invited more. So this is what I'll say. My issue with this, before I jump into the question is, fellas, where are we at? I love this show because I have, these are three dynamic, phenomenal leaders that are black women. If I wanted to do this same show with some black men, do I know some? Yeah, but it'd be a lot harder to find some who are currently doing the work, whether that's in schools or in Jadon's case, working for organizations, that's pulling out teachers and leaders. Who's interested in collaborating? Because the problem is not there, that they're not there. It's they're not involved. <laughs> I was getting there next. <laughs> right. You know. No, you're right. Somebody, right. right. Somebody was like this. <laughs> they're, they're not involved. So I need to know. I'm Dinkins. I got you. I know Dinkins. I know you. No, it was for principals. I didn't know. Yeah, it, it was for principals. So this is if you watching this live or listen to it later. Black male principals in Indianapolis, holler at your boy, because we got to come together. Because right now, we getting killed out here. And if you look at the schools, you know, it's our black boys that are, that are causing some of these issues. And sometimes it's the mere effects. So if they can see the representation, something as cool as the video, right? It, it, it's, it's being where they are. So yeah, you're in the school, but you're doing those things. But how do we step outside of that comfort zone? How do we come together the same way the, the women do? To what do you say, disrupt? And uh, what was the other term we used? We're going to come together as black men. You know, and I'm talking about black male principles. So to my black male principles, holler at your boy, comment if you're listening, tag somebody. We got to come together and do better because I hope in a couple of weeks that I can do this same show with some black male principles. So enough right. said. Go ahead. Who wants to jump in? Sorry, on that? I, I just have a feeling about it because it's something I've been working through in general. Um, just why we and I wouldn't. I'm not just gonna put it on the men, but why it is difficult to get us to collaborate, as particularly black leaders in this space. But there's this phenomenon um, that I like to call the shining star phenomenon. You know, so so many of us, in order to get our degrees and then our advanced degrees and then the positions that we have. We've been the one black kid in the class. We've been the shining star all along. And so it's really difficult for us to be in a space where there are a whole bunch of stars shining as brightly as we do and be comfortable with that. I think like I think that's something even I had to work through. And if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of black people who have been, you know, gotten our education and gotten these positions, making your money, 
you want to feel like you're the only one. And then you want to feel like you're working just a little bit harder than the next one. Like I was just shocked by the amount of responses, which were, you know, like, well, with COVID, I don't have time. You know, I don't, I don't have time for video. And it's like, it doesn't take that long. And I promise you, like, I'm able to do a whole bunch. If anybody knows me, like, I do a whole bunch of goofy stuff and like, I'm about my business. You know, there's no competition in busy. Like, it just feels like busy Olympics sometimes. Like, I'm working harder than you. I ain't on social media doing that little stuff. I'm I'm doing the work for the kids. And we have to get past that. And we have to be okay. Understanding that the sun is big enough to shine on all of us. And we're all going to get that brightness. We're all going to get that warmth. And, you know, coming together feels a little bit uncomfortable. Because now, like, I'm highlighting somebody else who's doing just as much work, just as much good as I am. I'm done. Kiana, do you, I mean, you can speak on the black male, you know, not being involved from from a leadership or just this overall divide in general with us. Yeah. When I think about, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you should go. You should go. When I think about black males in education, um, I I always see the role of the black woman as um, we need to stand with in solidarity with our men. And one thing I've been trying to interrupt is this idea, this ideology that black men can only do discipline. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we need to really focus on black men being empowered as educational instructional leaders, because I think it sends the wrong message when we pigeonhole them into just in roles of controlling bodies. And I think a lot of schools are continuing to try to replicate prisons and we need to just stop doing that. I also find it um, one. I find it my responsibility um, to, um, as I'm given access or extended privilege, or the privilege that I have myself is extending it to others and reaching back and seeing how I can help in any way. Um, sometimes it comes down to making connections with really um, strong leaders. Um, there's leaders who are out there doing the work. Um, but they just haven't been connected to the right people. So I just think um, that's a really important part of that piece. And um, just just shouting out our black men and saying, yes, King, keep going. I love what you're doing. I, I don't know if we have um, enough uplifting of our black males. Absolutely. Yeah, the only thing I was gonna offer there is, is as an observation, um, being back in Indy now for the past year, I often see black leaders, um, really um, sort of living only in their identity as educators. What I mean by that is um, we get so tied to our title that that's like who we are and how we're sort of known in the broader um, community. And so um, there was also a point, I think um, Brian, I saw something come through where he's like, you know, we need to extend the conversation beyond Center Township, beyond charters. And I've also seen that as an opportunity um, to reach out to, to, to traditional schools um, in, in the district and in the surrounding districts, right? India is unique in that way um, to, to really broaden um, the conversation and invite um, more than just the, the common folk that we see at every kickback. Right. Um, <laughs> there. I'm, I'm kickback, but I'm just saying, like, let's now, get I will, Yeah. I will say I reached out to district leaders too. Any, like anyone who I knew who was a principal um, in a township, and then, like, I even, like, I almost received some attitude of why was it just those people as though I did not open it up to black principals. And even in the email, it said any black principal who, you know, send it to this person like this is completely inclusive. But then it looked like it was very exclusive, not because and it was, you know, it wasn't our fault. 
it was open to everyone. So that was, it was just frustrating. I don't need anybody thinking my intention is to exclude when I made it very clear I wanted this as inclusive as possible. And it just didn't turn out that way. But we were still cute. So. So, hey, again, I said it good. I mean, I'm, I'm not a principal, but I could have did the whole, you know, move. <laughs> Maybe I will lose some. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll leave this topic at this. Holla at your boy, man. Let, let's, let's make this show live in a couple weeks. Um, so that, that, that brings us to the end, but as promised, because I think it's important that I want the, the, these three phenomenal women to educate the folks on your organization. So we have two school leaders and someone that, lead, that works for TFA and also leads her own organization and is going to drop a plug about a new organization coming to the city. So we'll just start at the top. Kiana, tell us the folks about Purdue Polytech, about you know the work you're doing at your particular location and just in general. So Purdue Polytechnic um, is a network of schools um, with uh, in partnership with Purdue University. The, or the origins of our school was that um, Purdue University was looking at data and noticed that there was a large gap and there was a, a large number of underrepresented, talented minority students who, um, and I, 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 I'm not used to saying minority because I feel like that 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 uh, phrase triggers me nowadays. So <laughs> give me a second to to get back to, to get back to where I was. But underserved groups that were not getting into Purdue University. So we're unapologetically um, looking to better support Black Latino students into getting into Purdue University um, and getting into those high paying tech careers. And so um, as we looked at data and as uh, we worked with Purdue University, um, one thing that really stuck out was innovation. So we realized that if we did school the same way that it's been done for years, we're not gonna get the changes that we need. So we focus on project-based learning. Um, we do mastery-based grading. Um, and we just, we are, um, we're completely restorative practices. Um, so we have um, just greatly decreased the number of students of color who were being suspended or expelled. If you look at our data, you'll see that um, that work has been really intentional. We are, I am very intentional, our school leaders, are, our network leaders are very intentional about um, making sure that schools do not feel like prisons, that students have a voice and choice in what they do. And we also are putting students in contact with um, leaders of big organizations. So our partners are Eskenazi, um, United Way, we work with Corteva, we work with Eli Lilly, and we're putting them into the C-suites right away. So we're getting them introduced to CEOs, CFOs, really trying to extend social capital to our students because um, at the end of the day, it's not always about who you know. Or, no, it is. It's not about what you know, but it's about who you know. And so we're setting those students up with both those academic skills and with those um, social skills, those transactional skills that will add to their success. Um, students are taking um, dual credit courses. They're taking courses through the university. We're doing whatever it takes to get them where they want to be. Um, while I don't believe that every kid has to go to college to be successful, we want every kid to have the option of going to college. Mm -hmm. uh, we are hiring right now for the 2021 school year. So if you're looking to um, work in an ever-changing, fast-paced environment, um, please apply online at pphs.purdue.edu. Um, I am just really proud of the work we're doing in the city. We've seen really great results. And um, I just think about um, school so differently. 
um, and really proud of the innovation because I believe that true equity, again, a word that's used way too much and not appropriately, but I think real equity will come through innovation. Um, and I guess I'm just tired of systems that believe that uh, Black kids have to sit in a row and be quiet to learn. That is not what's happening in the suburbs. That's not happening um, in more affluent areas. So um, just extending. And um, the one of the best parts, I'm a Purdue alum, but don't worry, some of my best friends went to IU, <coughs> India. Um, <laughs> complete our program gets direct admittance into Purdue University. And as most of you all know, Purdue is one of the top five universities in this nation. And so we're just um, really excited about the work we're doing. No, no. <laughs> They're hiring at Purdue Polytech. They're enrolling students at what grades? Um, we're enrolling for ninth through 11th grade. Nine through 11. So parents, if you're looking for a high school in Purdue Polytech Fix It, check it out. Teachers, educators, if you're looking for a place to work, Purdue Polytech is also hiring too. India, tell us a little bit about what you're doing. So one, I have to say that I just love this. Like, I love this, what we are doing. And we all know I'm not an emotional person, but were I an emotional person, I probably have a tear. Like, David, you and I used to sit on the floor, literally a floor, and like floor. all of these big dreams about what education should look like. Like, we, you know, we thought that we could be these single handed agents of change. We've since learned that we can't be and have mm -hmm. learned how to partner with people and with the community and do this thing together and take it in the right direction. That just warms my heart, Jadon, you know, like, come on, like you sing the gritty, you know? <laughs> and, you know, and, and I, I just love that I have friends who we can have these intellectual conversations with and talk about how we can dismantle, disrupt, and change the face of education. And then we also can just be our blackity black selves. And so, you know, I'm just honored to have you all in my life. I'm gonna start with that. Um, I tell people that that Kiana school and my school are like siblings. So we're, we are, you know, one went to IU, one went to Purdue. So, so we have the IU partnership uh, with the School of Global. Uh, nope, it's not that anymore. They have a new name, so I'm not going to mess it up. It used to be SGIS. Um, but the school at IU and the international school at, or the international studies program at IUPUI, um, Quick note, we will have a, a live stream conversation coming up next Wednesday, and we will have the vice chancellor of IUPUI's and uh, IU Bloomington's um, International Studies, and actually a postdoctorate student um, for the School of Education who focuses on global learning. So those are two of the guests we'll have there. But anyway, our schools are both small. Our schools are very are both specialized, run by black, passionate women. Theirs is the more STEM school and ours is the more humanity school. So where you're going to get your technology, math, science heavily there, at our school, you're going to get language um, and the social studies and those humanities um, more heavily. You know, like that is what we that's what we believe is our part in changing the face of education, changing the trajectory of our students. And by trajectory, I mean that we understand that only about 27% of black students who enroll in a four-year university will graduate within four to six years. And then when we go out another four years, it's only at about 42% of black students who graduate. We also know that only 6% of students in America who study abroad are mm -hmm. black. 
And we also know that 94% of students who study abroad in college graduate from high school or graduate from college. So our thing is increasing college graduation matriculation through study abroad and international studies. So if you've heard of our school, it is the school that took students to live and learn in Thailand for three months for the past two years. And this year I did this radical thing and said, we are going to pause our school. We were only serving 11th grade students. We need a four year school because we saw the impact that it was having on our students. And it didn't make any sense to pull them in for one year and then push them back out. It does more harm than good. So now we are reopening. We'll be co-located in the Arlington school, in the Arlington building with Arlington Middle School. And our students will have the opportunity to go to Costa Rica to do a service learning project for a week during 10th grade and the Dominican Republic to do three, four rounds of um, project based learning during 11th grade. And that's for about 10 to 12 weeks. And it costs nothing. It costs nothing. It costs Free. nothing. It is embedded in our school model. We are about bringing access and equity to study abroad. And that means if I have to go and rub elbows, we won't be shaking any more hands. Uh, with whoever I need to, so that I can fundraise on my end, write as many grants as I can to bring equity and access to the field of study mm -hmm. abroad to increase our students' chances of graduating on time. That's what I'm going to do. Um, you know, I tell people that I designed when I designed the school model. I inherited the program, the study abroad piece. When I designed the school model, I had actually lost four students, four former students, and a former classmate, and a parent of a former student to gun violence the year that I was designing it. So to me, it wasn't just about study abroad and taking kids out of the country, but it was about teaching them how other people are solving problems, how other people are working mm -hmm. through issues, showing them how big this world is and how small those problems actually are, and then bring them back to the community, back to the east side, and infuse that, what they've learned, into our community so we can grow our community. So we are, we are entirely committed to community engagement, community development, um, yeah, we do all those other things that the schools do. So our students will take foreign language. Our students will have dual enrollment. They'll have internships. But I can't I, I cannot enough um, express the community engagement piece. And, and our students actually go through community asset based community development during 10th grade. And they develop their own organizations to meet the needs of their community that could turn in their own nonprofits, 501c3s, if they want. And I was really inspired by the Champion Project. With that one who was a Tinley grad. Um, so yeah, so that's all about, about Thrival Indy. I'm hiring maybe a humanities teacher. That's all I have as an opening right now, possibly. Um, humanities teacher, I have somebody, I have my eye on bringing one of my, my teachers back from Miami. Um, uh, Thrivalindy.org, and then we have that event coming up next Wednesday. I believe that's all. Good. So real quick, Jadon, before you go, so we have Purdue Polytech hiring and enrolling students. We have Thrival Indie Academy, which is possibly hiring for humanities teacher, but definitely enrolling. So you yeah, have two, ninth graders. two dope school leaders mm -hmm. with dope schools trying to do right by kids. So Jadon, tell us, Teach for America free, what you got for us? All, all the above yeah. what? Those are, those are hard acts to follow. I'll try and be quick. Um, and I will, I think I it would be, uh, I'd be remiss not to start by saying the organization that I work for, Teach for America, I know folks have narratives or, or uh, perspectives about what that organization represents. And I just got to say, I'm about as black as it gets. I'm unapologetically blackity black and, um, and for the record, am unapologetically Teach for America. Um, Teach for America has played 
an incredible role in sort of my career and my understanding of, of equity work. Uh, we've been having the conversation about what it means to, to um, create spaces that are anti-racist for a while. And that is particularly true about Teach for America Indianapolis. Um, and so I'm excited to be the first uh, woman of color, um, first person of color in the seat that I hold, which is responsible for the development of over 100 beginning educators um, in our city, and we've got over 600 Teach for America alumni um, leading and working in schools and, um, and organizations uh, um, across Indianapolis. So shout out to my Teach for America Indianapolis fam. I'm always representing because I do deeply believe that the work we do matters, and we are committed to getting better um, and, and ensuring that the teachers we're sending to your schools um, are coming with that mindset of like, what does it mean to really serve black and brown kids well, regardless of how they identify. Um, so I'm super excited about that work. Um, the My side hustle, uh, which is, is now happening in partnership with Teach for America Indianapolis because of their investment in, in me personally. Um, so I want to um, honor that and um, our unapologetic investment in leaders of color. I am bringing free, uh, which is the foundation for racial equity um, in education um, to Indianapolis. We are a fellowship program for emerging leaders of color. I have been privileged to sit in um, several fellowships um, over the course of my career, the Surge Fellowship being one of them. So I'll, I'll shout out Surge. Um, as it stands, I'm the only alum for, for the Surge program that I know of in Indianapolis. Um, and Surge is coming here in a bit. The point there, though, is that I've had the privilege of sitting in spaces um, um, and in fellowship experiences based on where I already am in my career. So having access to mid-level leadership, et cetera. Um, the free fellowship is an opportunity for folks who are not yet principals, who are not yet assistant principals, who are not yet um, sort of in leadership positions, who are ready to start to flex those muscles um, and really increase their capacity um, um, to do that. So I'm about um, investing in our emerging leaders of color and not just like soft skills. I, I, I have to say this. I think like sometimes as people of color, we do social justice work because it's in our hearts, it's in our blood, it's in our bodies. I often say like, I, the work is sacrificial. I am not the sacrifice. So hello. <laughs> hello. It's also about arming emerging leaders of color with the skill, the hard skills that they're going to need to continue to accelerate um, in their career such that they can do um, um, bigger and better things for kids and have more access to hard power, uh, which, if we're going to be honest, is really how you, you change. Um, system. So I'm excited about the launch of free. If you are interested in the free fellowship and you are a Teach for America alum of color in the city of Indianapolis or anywhere listening, uh, we are excited to have you um, go to our, our webpage for TFA Indianapolis, where you will find a link to free. Uh, we're also doing something really cool. We're putting our money where our mouth is. And so we are encouraging Teach for America alum of color to relocate to Indianapolis because we do believe it's the place to be. And we're giving a $5,000 relocation assistance um, support for folks to, to come here and engage in the development that is free um, alongside Teach for America Indy. So um, talk to me if you want to learn more about the work that we are doing. Um, just just really excited to be uh, representing both organizations. And again, thank you, David, for, for the invitation. This was dope. I haven't eaten dinner yet. I haven't done anything I was supposed to do tonight, but I have enjoyed just being here in community with y'all. Um, and then lastly, shout out Madeline Mason. I saw that come through um, um, a sister and friend and colleague in the work. Um, so, so thank you for being here as well. 
So, uh, folks, as we, as we close out, I just want to say, in India, I'm like, you you know, we, you know, we go way back. And she said it on the floor when I was trying to jump into this game. Then when I, you know, hit my head and said I wanted to be a principal. Um, <laughs> Kiana, we've been in multiple spaces together, um, has, has connected. I feel like we've known each other for some years and like, you know, I just. Know. <laughs> and and Jadon, you know, uh, Definitely recently connecting. Uh, shout out to, to YouTube. Definitely came, came to my school and read to my girls and to my kids. I appreciate that. But everybody that, that tuned in, that commented, I appreciate it. This is the Recess Podcast. Again, it was a brainchild of a couple of years. I finally just had the courage to just jump out and do it. This platform right here, I want to shout out to A Black Hands, Chris Stewart, uh, Charles, Ray, uh, thank you for the encouragement, the guidance to do this. Um, everybody that tuned in, we'll be back next week. Next week's topic, I'm bringing on some, some black teachers, so some current classroom teachers in the city. We're going to have a conversation about the, the landscape from their perspective in the classroom. And as I said, a couple of weeks from now, I need to get some, some black male principals. So holla at your boy. This has been the Brian Dinkins for hyping us up this whole time with them. Yeah. Some more emojis. Shout out to, to Brian Dinkins. If you don't know Brian Dinkins, he's doing a lot of great work. He's always been supportive of all educators. Um, so appreciate you. Sarah, appreciate you uh, for, for chiming in. Um, I got to shout out my boy, Joey. Me and Joey go way back to high school. Joey, good to see you. Thank you for all you did serving our country. Good to see you back. Um, stay side, brother. Uh, we're going to connect offline for sure. But everybody, thank you for tuning in. This has been the Recess Podcast. I will share the link. Follow me on Twitter. You see it there, Mr. McGuire underscore teach. Catch me on Facebook. The Recess Podcast is on Spotify, Google Play. Um, we're, we're on different platforms. So this is the first episode. Check us out next week, Tuesday, 730. We out. Proud of you. All right, bye. Bye. bye.